what we do on Wednesday nights as we go through a uh, a book of the Bible, verse by verse at a time. Uh, We encourage you to bring your Bibles on Wednesday night um, uh, so you can actually follow along, see what in the world I'm talking about, whether I'm not making this stuff up or not. And you can, you know, run ahead and look behind and stuff. What we want to do is give it to you in context. This is what the Bible teaches. Now, we are in the book of Galatians. How many of y'all were here last Wednesday night? But okay. <laughs> it was a little wild and crazy. And, uh, and talking about how Paul is writing the book of Galatians and he is absolutely, totally ticked off and furious that these people were getting off message. They were missing the point. Christianity is fundamentally about one very simple thought, and that is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what it's about. We come to faith, uh, we come to God through faith in Christ. We experience God's grace by faith in Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ. All of God's blessings, the prayers that you get answered, all of this comes by faith in Christ. Well, there uh, have always been, from the very beginning of Christianity, people who don't think that's quite enough. And they feel compelled to go back to the Old Testament laws and the Old Testament rules and impose them on Christians, saying that, well, you need to do these other things too. It's in the Bible. They'll say, it's in the Bible. Oh, yeah. The old part of the Bible. The part of the Bible that we aren't obligated to obey anymore. We do not have to live by the Levitical law of Moses. Thank God in heaven for that. This is no small deal here. And for some re- and, it, and it still happens to this day. Uh, varying, to varying degrees, it seems like uh, there's people who, for whatever bizarre and twisted reason are just compelled to go back to this stuff and start imposing on people of faith that they should only eat certain kinds of foods because that's what it says in the Old Testament. Or they should only worship on certain days and not on other days because that's what it says in the Old Testament. And focus on, you know, various, you know, months and years of celebration and all these emphasis all on the Old Testament stuff trying to impose them on believers today. You know, they had all kinds of restrictions, you know, in the Old Testament, you shouldn't be marking up your body and stuff with tattoos and things like that. Okay, but that was the old law, you know. Now you can make an argument not to do it one way or the other, but don't use the Old Testament to beat up on people. Because we're very selective with that stuff. You know what I'm saying? We like to beat up people that we don't like with the Old Testament. And then we avoid all the stuff that would beat up on us, right? Christians are famous with it. I mean, they'll use really mean things, you know, like, you know, uh, homosexuality. Yeah, we're against the Bible says homosexuals should be stoned to death. Well, yeah, kind of. It did in the book of the law. But it also said anybody who cussed should be stoned to death. Which would pretty much knock out the rest of you sitting here. All right. Are you hearing me? Now, we don't quote that. You know, we don't quote, you know, we just like to take all and beep, you know, don't get that. And don't do this, and don't be this, and that, and just shut up already. All right, we're not supposed to be living by this thing, and it seems like uh, it's every so many years in uh, evangelical Christianity, there's this wave again of people who like to suck. It's been a while, actually. We're kind of (laughs) due. 
thank God, you know, that we haven't had it. And if I have anything to say about it, we won't have it. And hopefully I will inoculate you. So when some nitwit comes around and starts telling you what the Old Testament says, you just smile at him and think you're an idiot and let him go away. All right? Now, Paul was furious because these new believers who had started out in faith, it's all about, it's all about Jesus. It's all about knowing Christ. It's like the songs we were just singing, all focusing on Jesus. And, and started convincing them that, that that wasn't enough. That they needed to obey the law and they needed to be circumcised. You know, cut off the end of your weenie. Okay, that's what they were getting them all to do. And that was just the beginning of it. That's bad enough. But they went on... I was trying to see how you uh, signed that deal. I was, <laughs> you're under control over there. All right, all right. All right, we're good. <laughs> I can sign that one for you. I'll tell you right now. There's no problem there. All right, okay, I'll move on. But anyway, these were very restrictive rules and regulations, and they were trying to force, and Paul it was just really hacked. So, you remember, I mean, again, remember this. Look at verse 8, you know, in chapter 1. He says, if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel to you other than the one that we preach. In other words, that it's all about Jesus. He says, let him be eternally condemned. In other words, let him go to hell. That's how ticked he was. And he repeated it. Next verse. As I've already said, I say again, if anybody preaches to you gospel other than what you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. He was one hacked off apostle. He is really, really furious at these people. And we will, you think that's bad. There's, there's, there's a, <laughs> there's something coming that's just going to make you scream. But, uh, uh, well, we won't, we won't cheat and look ahead. Okay, now, or cheat, see if you can figure it out. Okay, now, uh, so we're going to pick it up at verse, uh, chapter 2. And he's trying to explain to these people uh, why he's doing what he's doing and stuff. And he says, you know, talking about how he was first a believer and connected with the church and stuff in Jerusalem. He says, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Uh, But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Now, we looked at that last week. We went back and saw the revelation he was talking about was the revelation that Peter had that non-Jews could be saved, which is pretty much all of us. There might be one or two of you. Jewish just went back there. <laughs> a couple of Jewish guys around. But, but for the most part, you know, that just means that we could get saved because they didn't think that we could. So God gave Peter this revelation and Paul had been getting all this static for preaching to non-Jews. And so they go down, they have this big powwow and they finally decided at the end that the Christians do not have to obey the law of Moses. And in fact, what they pretty much said is, well, the only thing we're going to require out of you is one, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Uh, don't drink blood. No problem there. And, uh, and, and don't be sexually immoral. That was pretty much the only things of the Old Testament things that they, they pushed on people. Okay? So Paul was happy. He basically felt like that he had run, won this argument. It's kind of funny though. I mean, look at the tone here. Uh, he says, but I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders. <laughs> Are you getting this at all? They were leaders. I don't think Paul was real impressed with these people. And as we go on, he continues to insult them. We'll see in a minute. 
But uh, he, he really was not very impressed with these apostles and stuff and the leaders in Jerusalem. I think primarily because they tended to lean in this direction, which we'll see as he continues. But going on, verse 3, he says, uh, you know, I went all the way down there, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So Titus was not a Jewish believer, and he hadn't been circumcised. He said, they didn't even bother Titus, so uh, all of this was been settled. And he says, now this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks. Again, look at the tone of this, of the way he's writing. In the book of Acts, when we read this, it doesn't call them false brothers. It just said some, bro- some of the brothers were giving them static about this, right? Well, Paul interprets them as false brothers. I mean, he really, really was upset with these people. And he says, these false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. This is the way Paul interpreted it. Now, I think these guys weren't thinking in those terms. They just felt... Golly, you have to obey. You, you can't just ignore. How can you just ignore the Old Testament? You can't ignore the law of Moses. I mean, they, they struggled with this. But Paul really put him in the worst possible light. And he says, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain in you. As for those who seemed to be important, <laughs> he's really mean here because they were important. We're talking Peter and James and the apostles there. So, I mean, he really is, is not happy with these boys down there, even though he won the argument. As for those who seem to be important, he, and then he says, whatever they were makes no difference to me. <laughs> God does not judge by the external per- appearance. In other words, he's just saying, I don't care whoever these guys are, blah, blah, blah. He said, anyway, those, guys, those men added nothing to my message. In other words, he admits he won. But he's still not impressed with them. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Just as Peter had been to the Jews. Not sure he really believed that, Paul, when he said that. Um, And and quite frankly, you know, it's easy for us 2,000 years later to look back and kind of critique these guys. But uh, Jesus told Peter and the rest of them, go into all the world and preach the gospel just to the Jews. Is that what he said? Preach the gospel to who? Every creature. Everybody. Jesus was very clear. It's interesting that later on, Peter and the others, well, I, we're called to preach just to the Jews. And Paul, that's good what you're doing off with these other scuzzy, creepy, crawly people. Interestingly enough, the New Testament has very little from these men. There were 12 apostles. How come we don't hear from the 12 apostles? You hear from Peter for a little, little bit. Uh, James pops up for a second. And, uh, and, and John, isn't that pretty much it? You know, that, that almost all of the New Testament is, is written by others, not, not by these these. these uh, these guys, I, I can't help but think that their hesitancy, and you have to remember, it really bothered them that people who are not Jewish could love God and, and enter into this wonderful thing called salvation unless they became Jewish too. They really, really struggled with this. Uh, so anyway, going on. Um, da, 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 da. For God who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars. 
<laughs> Are you seeing this? It just amazes me when you read this how, how he's really not being very nice. They were pillars. They weren't just reputed to be pillars. He's questioning their authority in a very nitpicky kind of way. Boy, I, and you'll see why in a minute. He's not done with these guys. Okay? Anyway, those Peter, James, and John, those reputed to be pillars, the guys he said, I don't really care who they were, it makes no difference to me, you know. The one who said, you know, uh, these, these were guys who seemed to be leaders. All right, so anyway, these guys gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they should to the Jews. Uh, something I think, again, for my little worldview at this point, I think those guys were making a bit of a mistake. Uh, interesting that Paul is the one who had so much impact in changing the world for Christ because he got it. It's about faith, period. He was the one who was the most successful. All the rest of them had a much more limited impact in the world because he got this idea. It's all about Jesus. It's quite that. It's just that simple. Thank God for it. So anyway, he basically says that they they won. And then this one, look what he says in verse 10. All they asked is that we continue to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. That's not really true. That's not all they asked. You remember what they asked? Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't drink blood. And this other, I mean, they, they were adding some stuff. It's interesting. The only thing that he says that they said to do was something he probably said in conversation with him. Even he was hesitant to continue to take even those few little connections from the Old Testament. Although I do think we need to obey that because that's what they ruled. But it's just interesting the way that he, he, he approached this whole thing. Now, verse 11. So Peter comes to Antioch. When he came, I opposed him in private behind closed doors because that's what Christians do. When he came, I said, brother, let's go sit quietly. I, I have something I want to mention to you in, in, you know, in the back here so, so nobody else is hearing that. Wouldn't you think that would be the nice thing to do, right? The Christian thing to do. Remember, so many believers today, I talked about this last week, so many religious believers feel that any kind of confrontation is evil, evil, evil. Paul did not have a problem with this. And this is the guy who said, be kind to one another, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. This is the guy who understood about getting along. He truly understood it, but did not think it inappropriate to confront. So when Peter shows up, he opposes him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Oh, really? What did he do? Well, before certain men came from James, remember James was in charge of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Remember from last week? Well, before some of these guys came up from James... Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when the Jewish brethren arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, the Jewish group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Barnabas was the buddy of Paul. It was Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. They eventually had a falling out, and uh, then it became Paul and Silas, because Paul got really ticked it. Apparently, Paul had some issues. (laughs) 
<laughs> makes us Puerto Ricans feel good. Because, you know, apparently you can get upset about stuff, you know, and not lose your salvation. And, and he finally had it with Barnabas and quit working with him. But anyway, that's Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas was the guy with Paul going and preaching the gospel to all these people who are not Jews. And he says, even Barnabas got caught up in this hypocrisy. And when the Jewish guys showed up, they suddenly kind of got away from the, the scuzzy people like us. Alright? So, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in private, in the back room quietly. No. I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You're being a hypocrite, is basically what he's saying to them. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, as they were being referred to, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not By observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will ever, 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 ever be justified. You don't get righteous by obeying those rules. You just don't do it. You can obey them to your blue in the face. And here is a man who said he followed the rules flawlessly. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. This isn't some guy who was just... You know, had issues because he couldn't keep up with the law himself. From a child, he followed it perfectly. All these rules and regulations. He was an up-and-coming Pharisee, Hochi Mama. That's why he was so mad at Christians. And he was the one out persecuting and killing them. This guy was up-and-coming ranks. And then God turned his life around. And now he's arguing because he has seen this is not about those rules. It's about faith in Christ. Okay, then Paul starts talking a little bit here that's, that's a little hard to understand, and I'll, I'll walk you through it. A lot of times Paul in his writings, he starts answering questions that you can't hear. Does that make any sense? It would be like, you know, if you and I were having a debate about something, I send you a letter, and then suddenly I start answering the thing we've been arguing about, but whoever's reading the letter doesn't hear the question. And that's why some of his phrases sometimes like... <laughs> What are you talking about? Okay, but I think we can uh, figure out what he was talking about. So he says, If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinner, does that mean Christ promotes sin? Huh? What are you talking about? Clearly what these guys were saying was, Paul, if you don't obey the law, you are going to create lawlessness. You are going to create anarchy then then people will just do whatever they feel like doing and, and there won't be any rules remember these are people who love the rules you think some of you were raised in churches that love the rules you know some of us come from very uh strict religious upbringings you know very legalistic you can't do this you can't do that you can't do that you can't do that. you can't think about doing that because that's wrong for you even think about doing that don't do that and and you know uh you can't you know, watch TV, you can't go to movies, you can't chew tobacco, you can't hang with people who do. You know, you can't smoke, you go to hell. Remember that scripture? He who smokes in the now shall surely smoke in the hereafter. (laughs) 
which the Bible does not say, okay? But just, just, just these very legal, 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 and you can't do this, and your hair's got to be just this length, and your skirts have got to be exactly like this, and you know, and, and, and while the Bible talks about modesty and stuff, these guys made rules out of everything, you know, just very legalistic Christianity. Well, <coughs> The most legalistic Christianity never even began to touch this stuff. These guys were legalistic on steroids. Big time. And what they felt when Paul was coming and saying, if, you get, if we don't have to obey the law, you'll, you'll create anarchy. And that's always the panic of legalistic people. Legalistic people are afraid that if you take away the laws, the rules... That anarchy will assume. <coughs> Sounds like I've been smoking cigarettes. <laughs> oh, mercy. Let me give you an example. Legalism. The Bible says, teaches clearly in the New Testament, that we are not supposed to get drunk. Right? Okay. Legalism comes along and helps out God. Poor little God. Okay. So, legalism... Fundamental uh, Christianity, by and large, evangelical Christianity, I'd say the vast majority of them, say you can't drink at all. You can't drink at all. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, but we, we help God out. Right? Because if, if we, 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 can't, we can't get drunk, then that means we, we can't drink at all. Because if you can't drink at all, then, then you can never get drunk. It makes a degree of sense, but it's legalism. The Bible never says that. So when you come along and you tell Christians, look, the Bible does not say you cannot drink. Their first reaction is panic. (laughs) If people drink, then everyone will become alcoholics. No, they won't. Now, if you're an alcoholic, then obviously you shouldn't drink. People say, well, what if you're an alcoholic? Well, that's a dumb question. Why are you asking me this question? then you definitely shouldn't drink. I mean, it, it's, it's like... It's like what? It's, it's, like, it's like your children shouldn't play in the street, right? And then you come and say, well, well you, you shouldn't play in the yard. Because if, if you don't play in the yard, then, then you can't get in the street. And then, then you should stay inside. And, and, and we should make curtains to close the windows so you can't look outside. Because if you look outside, then you'll be tempted to go onto the lawn, which could lead to the street. Are you following me here? You like that, huh? Very brilliant. So, so <laughs> what, what has happened is, that's what legalism Christianity does. They come and they add all these rules to try and keep you from bad things, I get it but I got news for you, God doesn't need your stinking help are you hearing me? And, and, and the Jewish rabbis had done this the Bible said not to work on the Sabbath well then they had to analyze that well, well that, you know, then, then let's make sure you don't pick things up on the Sabbath and make sure you sit in your house and make sure you don't take more than I forget how many steps they could take, did anybody know? you're a great scholar, no? You know, they, they counted them out, like they came up with a number like you can't step more than 300 steps in a day on the Sabbath. And they'd literally walk around. One, two, three, four. I'd come over and shake your hand, but I don't want to eat up all my steps for the day. 
All right, and 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 it was insane. And remember, they 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 told Jesus' disciples, "You can't pull pull the grain off of 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 the of the wheat and eat on the Sabbath. What are you doing? That's work." And and they just became Jesus. Basically, said, "You know, you're idiots." Okay. <laughs> And he came along and he started messing with them. And, and he said, you know, I can heal on the Sabbath. See, these guys didn't even think you should heal on the Sabbath. Because you might exercise, exert energy. And God never said any of those things. Who says those things? Religious people. They will always come and they will add to the Bible. And they'll be legalistic to the Bible. And the minute you challenge their legalism, the minute you come and say, you know... Um, I know there's bad things on TV, but I can have a TV and not watch those bad things. That's common sense, all right? Now, obviously, they're right. If you didn't have a TV, you could never watch the bad things. But it's legalism. How about teaching people to be responsible in the first place? Otherwise, you create a false righteousness. You know, and if you're looking at crud on the TV, someone will slap you, knock it off. You know, I've got, everybody's got their own lines, you know. I mean, you know, when we first got our cable package, you know, you got, you know, HBO and all this other stuff. Good Lord, have you seen some of this stuff at night? Holy stinking cow! There's naked people doing, oh my God! Of course, my, well, there's really good shows on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good Lord, I got rid of that garbage. There's enough other stupid stuff you can watch without looking at all that stuff. Everybody draws their own line. But you don't need to look at that garbage. You don't need to be stupid. So, um, but the minute you say, well, you can have a TV and then make good decisions. Again, people, they panic. (laughs) You'll create anarchy. So, what they were basically accusing Paul is if, if you do this, you're essentially promoting sin. Okay, now you put that argument now listen to the verse if while we seek to be justified in Christ it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners does that mean that Christ promotes sin absolutely not if I rebuild what I destroyed I prove I'm a lawbreaker if I'm going out trying to get rid of sin and then I preach freedom that creates sin I'm rebuilding what I knocked down in the first place you see how it makes sense in that context I'm assuming this is what he's talking about otherwise nobody knows what he's talking about okay um (laughs) I read these Documentaries or these uh, study Bibles, pretty funny. Um, they take their guesses too, they don't know. But, but it seems to make sense to me. He says, for through the law I died to the law, so that I can live for God. And, and this is a great script, this next scripture, you should all memorize the scripture. There's a handful of scriptures in the Bible, every one of you should memorize, and this is one of them. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. I am crucified with Christ. It's a good scripture to memorize. When the devil comes tempting you and say, you know, why don't you do this naughty thing? Why don't you do this thing? You know, I really would, but I'm crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. I'm dead, sorry. Are you hearing me? The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not my own. I'm not going to do these things. I'm not going to do stupid things. Even though it's tempting to me, I'm already dead. I'm, I'm on a cross. I can't do anything about it. I've been crucified with Christ. When you start getting real selfish and you want to get real selfish, you got to remember, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. That's, that's the mentality we should have. We are dying to self. Which is just, you know, we're crucified. Most of us are just up there hanging. We're not dead yet. 
It's true. We just rah, we keep crawling off the cross is what we keep doing, you know, and getting down for a while, taking a break every so often. <laughs> Memorize that verse. Get it in your heart. You should be able to quote it verbatim. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained for the, through the law, check this out, Christ died for nothing. If you, and I talk about this every Sunday when we do our our little altar, you know, our our little time of salvation. People say, you know, um, you know, I'm I'm a good guy. You know, why do I need to ask Jesus? I'm I'm a good guy. I'm not a bad. Look, if you could be a good guy, Jesus died for nothing. Why would he go to the cross? If you could be good enough to get into heaven, he would have just said, hey, be good enough. See ya. Right? It doesn't work. You cannot be good enough to get your way into heaven. You can't give enough money to get your way into heaven. There's nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is realize, you know, I am completely, totally, and utterly lost. But for the grace of God. And you put your faith in Christ. That's why he died on the cross. So that through his sacrifice, we could be made right with God. It's the greatest deal of all time. Deal or no deal. It's the greatest deal. God is saying, look, I will take all of your sins, all the rotten, wicked, mean, spirited, naughty, thought, everything you've ever done, and I'll take it away from you. And in exchange, I will just give you my grace. There's people who say no to that. It's amazing when you think about it. You're saying, no, I want my sins and I don't want your grace. That's essentially what they do when they reject Christ. I don't want to be Christian. I don't want to give my heart to God. Oh, no, I'm okay. They're, they're, they're losing out on the grace. That's why the Bible calls the gospel the good news. What's so good about it? The good news is that God loves you in spite of you. The amazing thing is that he loves you and he knows you. That's the amazing thing. You know, people always, I know what they're saying when they say, you know, Pastor Mark, we love you. And I, and I appreciate that, you know, but really, you don't know me. <laughs> the more you know me, the harder I am to love, dude. I'm telling you right now. Why? Because I can be as irritating as the rest of you. All right? We're all this way. The amazing thing with God, God knows you intimately. And in your worst and at your worst, he says, I absolutely love you. And I'll make a deal with you. If you'll trust me, I'll take away all of your sins, all of your mistakes, all of your favors, and I will bless you with unmerited blessings. Deal or no deal. That's a deal to take, I'm telling you right now. Fabulous stuff. If you could get this stuff any other way, Christ died for nothing. And that was the challenge he was throwing out to them. All right, chapter 3. And remember, these things were not written in chapters. These numbers were added later. So you could just have a point of reference. This is just a continual letter that he's writing to these guys. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And he he starts reasoning with them. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or believing what you heard? Did you receive Christ because you were so good or because you heard the gospel message? Did you receive Christ? Did you meet Christ because you worshipped on Saturday instead of Sunday? 
Did you receive Christ because you had or did not have a tattoo? Did you receive Christ and the Holy Spirit because you got saved during the year of Jubilee and not during a regular year? I mean, all of it's ludicrous. None of that has anything. You receive Christ just by his grace. It wasn't because of any external days, times, laws, or restrictions or regulations. He says, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That nails a lot of us right there. We start out in grace, but it doesn't take long before it's all about us. And I'm trying to the best I can. And it's all about me. And I need to do this. And I need to do this. And while there are things that we need to do without question. And I understand that. You'll hear me get on you about stuff you need to do. You can never lose sight of the fact that fundamentally you're not earning God's grace by what you're doing. We need to do the right things because we've got the grace of God. Not because we're trying to earn the grace of God. And it's a huge distinction. Because a lot of people think, you know, well, I, I've got to earn my way. I've got to earn my way. No, 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 no. Even people who start out in faith. You can never earn your way back to God. You can't do this by human effort. He says, have you suffered so much for nothing? If it was really for nothing, remember, these are first century Christians. Not the most popular thing to be. You know, some of these people were bitterly abused and persecuted. Some were killed. Paul had killed some of them. You've gone through all this persecution and, and static for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Again, this affects Christians, believers. There's a lot of people, when you first came to Jesus, the idea of God doing a miracle in your heart was an easy thing to accept. Now, if you need a miracle, and I try to encourage you to believe God, a lot of Christians go... Oh yeah, but I, I haven't prayed you know all week long, you know. Or oh, I know I haven't read my Bible, or you know I told my husband he was an idiot. Uh, you know I kicked my dog, uh, and, and right we go back and we think of reasons why God won't answer our prayer. No, 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 no. Did did you receive miracles and answers to prayer by faith or what you did before? Well, in the beginning it was all based on grace because. You know, none of us knew anything. One of the dangers of growing in your faith, that sounds crazy, but one of the dangers of growing in your faith is, is you forget about the grace. And it becomes all about you. You remember the story of the, of the prodigal son? How many of you are aware of the, I guess I should, how many don't know this? It's a, it's a parable that Jesus gave, okay? And this father had two sons. And one day one of the sons comes and says, Dad, give me all my money. You know, he wanted to cash in his, uh, you know, uh, inheritance. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm from Green Bay. I don't know how to duck. But anyway, uh, uh, cash in his inheritance. So he, he wants, he says, give me my money and, and I want to be on my own. So, so he takes off. Okay. And he wastes all his money. And the guy is just an idiot of astronomical proportions. Um, and he finally realizes he had lost everything and, and he was eating slop with the pigs and he thinks, man, if I could just go home and work for my dad, I'd be better off. So he starts heading home and he's got this speech all rehearsed in his head. Oh, when I see dad, I'll say, dad, look, I, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. I, I get it. Can I just have a job? 
and he had it all rehearsed. And while he's walking, and dad sees him from a distance, as soon as his dad recognized who he was, the Bible says the dad runs to him. Runs toward him. This was not a father who was ticked off. You idiot! You got what you deserved! It's your own fault! If you'd have been paying attention, none of this would have happened to you! Is that what he did? No, he goes running to the boy and embraces him. And he starts in with his pre-rehearsed message. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's, oh, shut up. He says, come on, everybody's party. Let's celebrate. This is great. So they call all everybody together and they go get the fatted calf and they kill the fatted calf. Bad day for the calf. But, uh... Everybody else is having a great time except for the calves. And they're, they're celebrating. woo This is great. He's home. He's home. He's home. He's home. And then the older brother. The older brother here says, what's all the racket? He says, man, great news. Your scumbag little brother finally came to light and he came home. And your dad is celebrating. You remember what the Bible says? The older brother was what? He was mad. He was mad. He got ticked. And he wouldn't go in. Finally, his dad comes out and says, What's the deal? Come on, we're, we're partying. He says, Why are you celebrating for that jerk? I've been faithful to you all these years. I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done this, and I did this at church, and I did that at church, and I listened to that stupid Pastor Mark every Sunday, and I saw this, and I. And this slacker all of a sudden comes in, all of a sudden, woo, 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 woo. And the father says, what's your problem? He says, any time you wanted to celebrate and have a party, you could. Any time you wanted to enjoy the blessings, you could. What happened? Here's a guy who did all the right things, but he got so caught into doing the right things, he forgot to celebrate. He forgot to enjoy the blessings of being a son. Here's a guy who started out like many of us in faith and grace and I'm part of the family but then we get so caught up in our own goodness and our own righteousness and our own works and pretty soon we're the good, faithful, hardworking son but we're a drag. And we look like we've been baptized in prune juice and uh, we try to invite people to church and nobody wants to come. You know, why don't you come to church? Why don't you, why don't you want to be like me? <laughs> because you're a drag, that's why. Depressed and sucking on persimmons all day long, all puckered up and bummed out and depressed. That's the danger of this as we grow in our faith, that somehow we forget the fundamental thing. This is all about Jesus. You know, that's why communion, we have communion every Sunday. Why do, why do Christians uh, have communion so often? We have it every Sunday. Most uh, evangelical churches don't actually. More mainline denominational churches do. But what's the whole point of communion? Jesus said, don't forget. Don't forget. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget. Why? Because he knows us. He knows what squirrels we are. And we'll forget that this is all about him. And the purpose of having communion, just remind yourself, okay, <coughs> it's about him. He died for me. He paid the sacrifice so that I could be accepted. Yes, I mess up. 
Yes, I stumble. Yes, I need, to, I need to do the right things. But at the end of the day, it's really, it's about him. It's all there about him. Our joy, our celebration in Christ should be based separate from our circumstances. We should celebrate not when things go good. And we shouldn't whine when things go bad. We should just celebrate life. Even when things go bad. Praise God. Hallelujah. This is great. God loves me. And then when things go really good. Praise God. Hallelujah. Who cares? Because it's not about that stuff. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me over 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 our, uh, uh, our, our, our lives, and uh, you know something really horrible will happen to me and Deb. You know, you know, because the doctor tells her she has cancer because you know we've got no money and they're ready to foreclose or or whatever. You know, we've been through ups and downs like you can't believe. And during the downs, people will come to us and say, "You you you must be so sad that things are so are so awful for you." And and we always look at them like, "No." No, we're still happy. We used to get static from people. You're not taking life seriously enough. No, we get it. Go away. <laughs> you must be. Some, and then all of a sudden, good news will happen. All of a sudden, she, her cancer's all gone, and people will come. And you finally sold your house. You must be so happy, Pastor. You must be so happy that stuff happened to you. And and I look at him like, what's the matter with you? I was happy when it was bad. Am I happy? Yeah, I'm happy. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy separate from my circumstances. Praise God. I mean, good grief. Who wants to be tied to their circumstances? Now, if your life is so great, you can afford to be tied to your circumstances. Great for you. This is great. I hate you. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know how you do that, you know. I mean, come on, we've all got circumstances that are up and down and in the middle and stuff. Man, my joy is not tied into that stuff. My joy, my peace, my satisfaction comes from knowing Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. He still loves me. And and I'm still amazed by it. I I truly am. I am amazed that he loves me. (laughs) Because I know me. I wouldn't love me if I were him. But he loves me. What a phenomenal thing. Alright, so Paul goes on with his argument. He says, consider Abraham. Now remember, he's making this argument to people who want to be Jews or who are already Jews trying to make everybody else Jews. And he says, and it's all about the law. He says, consider Abraham. Now why is that important? Because any good Jew will tell you that fundamentally is about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right, my Jewish brother back there? Yes, it's about Abraham. The promises of God to Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People say, I serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations. The, 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 the guys who started out all of this wonderful thing of faith. This, this special thing. Now what you have to remember, what he's reminding him here is, Abraham was like 400 and some odd years before Moses ever showed up. The promises that brought this wonderful relationship with God in the first place was centuries before Moses showed up with all of this. And it's a significant argument he's making here. And I'm sure these guys reading this are going to... Consider Abraham. He believed God, the Bible says, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
understand, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Abraham was justified not because he obeyed the law. There was no law. Now, he was the first one to come along and say, we need to cut off the end of our yibiyabis, okay? <laughs> but beyond that, there was no law. There were no Ten Commandments. There wasn't anything. Circumcision, there was that. that that'll wake you up. But, uh, but, but everything else, there wasn't anything. But yet, the Bible says that because he believed God, he was made righteous in God's sight. Not something that he earned, it was by faith. He was the first one that it dawned on people, this is about faith. And what he's saying is, every time anybody comes and says, you know, okay, I believe this. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe in what Jesus Christ did for me. Then you are immediately a child of Abraham. Because Abraham was the first one by faith. So what he's saying to these guys is all these non-Jews that you don't like here in Green Bay, Wisconsin. All these people, you know, whether or not, you know, that you're having such a cow about it. You need to understand, they're all sons and daughters of Abraham. Which is something they boasted about. You know, God is our Abraham is our father. That's, that's, you remember Jesus would talk about... Um, uh, you know, the, the Pharisees would boast that Abraham was their father. Jesus said, you know, you know what's God could speak to these stones and make up descendants of Abraham. They were, they were boasting in, in just that fact. But Abraham was long before there were any rules, any regulations, uh, and all this was even before even the circumcision came along. Okay? Now understand then, he writes, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. When he said this. All nations would be blessed through you. So that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham. The man of faith. All who rely on observing the law. He says are under a curse. For it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Why does that make them a curse? Because he knew no one could do it. No one can get all of this right. Now Paul boasts that he did it flawlessly, but I'm sure, because he even admits later he, the law proved that he was a sinner. So at some point, you know, in some little ways, he, he wasn't quite doing it. But nobody can do it. He says, clearly no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous, the Bible says, the Old Testament says, will live by faith. This is something that Abraham had established. The just, the righteous, those who have a relationship with God will live by faith. All of this comes by faith. The law, he says in verse 12, is not based on faith. On the contrary, what it says is the man who does these things will live by them. Uh, this will dictate your life. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming, becoming a curse for us. How did he do that? For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That's what it talks about, the crucifixion. Not that he was hanging from a tree, but crucified to a, to, a, to a cross. It says that he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, the one who just believed God, that's the only law he had, might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Pretty wild stuff. Um, 
next week we're going to pick it up with this next section. Very fascinating stuff that he talks about in this next section. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. Uh, Paul is, is a brilliant mind and he's trying to use all these arguments. Trying to convince people it's not about the times, it's not about the days, it's not about the rules and regulations. It's about freedom and faith in Christ. And uh, fabulous stuff. Okay, you learning anything? All right, good stuff.